Let's talk about David. Uh, studies in the life of David. Our text this morning is 2 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to look at all 27 verses. The topic we'll find there is this. Upon hearing of his death, David writes a stirring funeral lament for Saul that ignores his glaring failures and instead praises every redeeming quality. The title of our message this morning, The Saul Song Redemption. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for uh, giving us the opportunity to be here this morning and to uh, worship you, to ascribe you worth, Lord, for you are worthy to be praised. Uh, Our hearts, Lord, are ready now to receive your word. And we pray that, Lord, what you promised us would be true in our midst, that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher. That as we read the word, it would have a power in itself, Lord, Uh, not to return void, but to begin to really speak to us. And then as we comment upon it, Lord, that you would take uh, those comments that are uh, good and uh, accurate, Lord, and that you would use them to bless us and to help us to see Jesus more clearly than when we first came into this place. Lord, we want to keep falling in love with you over and over again. We want to be those people who never leave their first love. But understand, Lord... Uh, the preciousness of it. And so do all these things we ask and more as we uh, search your word, Lord, for things that are beautiful to behold. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. If I asked you to fill in the blank and said, Onward Christian blank, you'd say, Soldiers, and some of you might even add, Marching as to war. You certainly would not say, Onward Christian mercenaries. A mercenary is a soldier for hire. He's in it for what he can get out of it, which is typically both money and adventure. He's sometimes called a soldier of fortune. Is there such a thing as a Christian mercenary? Well, all I know is that if we're not careful, a mercenary spirit can sometimes creep into our way of thinking. Anytime I'm thinking about what I deserve, I'm thinking more like a mercenary. Anytime I'm looking for what would best minister to me, I'm thinking more like a mercenary. If I see no need to be a member of a local fellowship or if I set myself above the leadership of a church, I'm thinking more like a mercenary. We want to be good soldiers for Jesus Christ. Instead of wanting our fortune now in the form of recognition or self-promotion or independence, we should walk by faith, trusting that the Lord will reward us later for a life of seeking and submitting to his will now. I started thinking about mercenaries because we encounter one in our text. He comes to David carrying the king's crown with news of Saul's death. Turns out to be a grave miscalculation on his part. David has him executed. For his part, David shows what a soldier looks like who is walking by faith, looking forward to his future reward. Am I a soldier of fortune or am I a soldier of faith? To answer those questions, I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, you're a soldier of fortune if you think you can take up the crown. Number two, you're a soldier of faith if you remember you will receive a crown. Let's take a look first of all in the first 16 verses at the soldier of fortune. It seems as though the Philistines went out against the Israelites often. For all the many years Saul had been pursuing David, he had been successful in holding off the Philistines. Past successes, however, would not guarantee victory, not this time. If you were with us for our last study, you saw that Saul and his sons fell on the field of battle and Israel uh, had an enormous defeat. 
And so we pick up the story in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came to pass after the death of Saul, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, and David had stayed two days in Ziklag, on the third day, behold, it happened that a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. So it was when he came to David that he fell to the ground and prostrated, prostrated himself. Now David and his men were at Ziklag. He knew that the Philistines had gone out against the Israelites. He anxiously awaited news from the battlefield. Verse 3, David said to him, where have you come from? So he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. Then David said to him, how did the matter go? Please tell me. And he answered, the people have fled from the battle. Many of the people are fallen and dead. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. So David said to the young man who told him, uh, young man who told him, excuse me, how do you know that Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead? Then the young man who told him said, as I happened by chance to be on Mount Gilboa, there was Saul leaning on his spear and indeed the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. Now, it's clear this young Amalekite was out on the battlefield and therefore he was a soldier. He was thus a mercenary hired by Saul to help against the Philistines. He was near the action on Mount Gilboa where Saul and his sons fell. Verse 7, now when he looked behind him, he saw me and he called to me. I answered, here I am. And he said to me, who are you? So I answered him, I am an Amalekite. He said to me again, please stand over me and kill me. For anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. So I stood over him and killed him because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm. And I have brought them here to my Lord. Oh, wait a minute. I thought the last chapter said Saul fell on his own sword and committed suicide. First, he asked his armor bearer to kill him. And when the armor bearer refused... The text said that he fell on his own sword and killed himself, and then his armor bearer did likewise. Well, that's exactly what happened. This mercenary evidently thought that David would be excited about Saul's death because it cleared the way for him to become king. So he inserted himself in the story, made himself look a little heroic from his point of view. Maybe he'd be given a plush assignment in David's army. And so verse 11 Therefore, David took hold of his own clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan, his son, and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. Now, I'll have more to say about David's reaction in a moment. For now, I wonder what this Amalekite was thinking about his strategy in bringing the news to David. This was probably not the reaction that he was expecting. We can't know how much he knew about the problems between Saul and David. It was pretty public common knowledge that Saul was trying to kill David. And by this time, everyone knew why. It was because David had been anointed the next king. And if you're not really savvy in religious matters or spiritual matters, you might think that David, you know, is in a hurry to be king. And that it would really please him to know that Saul was dead, that the death of his enemy uh, would elevate him to that position. And so he inserts himself in this story. Uh, it, it's a, he thinks fortuitous that he comes you know, upon the dead bodies of, of Saul and his armor bearer and he's able to grab the crown and, and bring this to David. And I'm sure he's expecting a reward. Uh, 
that's not the reaction that he was expecting from David, that David would be sad and fast and all. Uh, and neither was what happened next. Verse 13. Then David said to the young man who told him, where are you from? And he answered, I am the son of an alien and a Malachite. So David said to him, how was it you were not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of the young men and said, go near and execute him. And he struck him so that he died. So David said to him, your blood is on your own head for your own mouth has testified against you saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. David had refused to kill Saul on at least two separate occasions that we covered in 1 Samuel. Times when Saul fell right into his lap. He was right there, one time asleep and his spear next to him and David and his servant. And both times David said, this is not for me to decide. Uh, It it can't even be that God has brought this situation uh, because I already know that it's wrong to kill the Lord's anointed. God raised up Saul. God will bring Saul down. He anointed me king. He will install me as king in his time. David was clear on that. And so when you came to David and you said, hey, great news, I killed Saul. He was going to die anyway, but I killed him. Uh, David was not excited about that at all. Regardless of Saul's massive failures, it was up to the Lord to bring about his death. I wonder if the Amalekite protested and tried to change his story. It was too late if he did. It would only seem to be a lie to save himself. There's no way out now. He says, I, here's what I did. And then David says, well, you're dead. Oh, well, actually, that's not the way it happened. Oh, yeah, right. You know, and David, he said, hey, you, you've testified. You've given testimony. It's kind of a military tribunal. Uh, you're a dead man. And they executed him on the spot. Now, the mercenary took up the crown and thought he'd follow the new king. As Christians, we're called upon to take up the cross and follow our king. The crown is something that comes later when we stand before Jesus Christ and have our lives reviewed. And so the Amalekite is going to represent to us this kind of mercenary spirit where we forget that we are a future-oriented people, we're living for the future, for a future reward, that we take up the cross now to receive the crown later. A lot of times we want to circumvent that, we want to get right to the crown uh, and live the Christian life the way we want to live it. So with that in mind, let's go back over this encounter to be sure that we are not thinking like mercenaries. The first thing we might notice about the Amalekite was that he was more of a spectator than a soldier. He was on the battlefield, but he kept a safe enough distance so as to not be engaged. After all, he watched as Saul fell on his sword, and then as Saul's armor bearer did the same thing. And then he was able to get to them before the Philistines got there and flee with the crown and uh, the bracelet that Saul wore that identified him as the king. And so he was a spectator in the battle. We don't want to be mere spectators. We want to have a sense that we're engaged. Uh, you know, it's our philosophy here, our understanding here at the church, that we come together to be built up in our faith so that we can go out and do the work of the ministry. Now, some of the work of the ministry takes place in the church as we are ministering one to another with the gifts God has given us. Uh, but Quite honestly, most of the ministry of our lives takes place outside the church in the place where God has sown us, where he's planted us. 
where we live and where we work and all the different contacts that we have as the Lord gives us opportunities to simply live the Christian life and then to talk to others about what they see in us. And so uh, obviously we're not spectators. Uh, We're involved in a, a conflict people in the world and the world itself against us, but we're out there as Christians on the front lines, uh, you know, uh, engaged. Now, the next thing we might notice about the Amalekite was that he was more of a looter than a soldier. Although he took the crown and the bracelet to David, he expected to gain from them. We are called to godliness, not to gain. The Apostle Paul put it like this in 1 Timothy. He said, godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into this world it's certain we can carry nothing out and having food and clothing with these we shall be content but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows Uh, The truth is, most of us have a lot more than food and clothing. We want to be sure that we are using the surplus to further the kingdom of God. Uh, We we certainly don't want to ever think of ourselves in the category of looters, just taking and hoarding and keeping what we uh, can get. I haven't seen it, but there's that show on television about hoarders. Uh, the commercials look gross, you know. If you're a hoarder, I don't want to hurt your feelings this morning. But, I mean, they just, they save everything in their house. You can't even walk through their houses. Uh, and, you know, they save boxes and trash, and it's, it's crazy. I guess it's some kind of a syndrome. Uh, you know, I, yeah, people say, oh, I'm such a pack rat. Yeah, you haven't been in any of these houses, you know, and stuff. And so, uh, hoarder, looter, however you want to put it, We want to make sure that we're free and generous with the things that God has given us, that we're using our resources to further the kingdom of God because we are soldiers uh, and, and that's what a soldier does. Now, a third thing we might notice about the Amalekite is that he promoted himself to David. I don't think there's any disagreement among commentators that his strategy was to impress David by telling him he had killed David's rival Uh, and was now, in a sense, laying the kingdom at David's feet. He was the first person to bow before David after Saul's death. It was a very, very big act of flattery. I I mean, this is a, from a worldly standpoint, it's a fantastic plan. It's a, man, I've come across the dead body of Saul. I didn't have to kill him, uh, but... Uh, You know, I have to explain how all this happened. If I take this to David and it's almost like I'm the one that's crowning him king, I'll be the first one to bow before him. Man, I can see prime minister in my future, you know, Uh, and and it's it's uh, it's a way of looking at things that promotes yourself Uh, instead of looking at the situation. And, uh, you know, he would have been better off just being a messenger and reporting back to David what he had seen. Even then, he might have had a sense of trembling uh, that he didn't die himself defending his king. And so, you know, but he just thought, this is a way for me to promote myself. Self-promotion is not how God desires to raise up individuals. On a purely practical level, it makes no sense to promote yourself since you really don't know the future plans that God has for you. You really don't know where God wants you to go, what he has for you to do. 
And so when, when I lock into this is what I want to do, I might be missing something that's so much better uh, in the long run. And so just on a practical level, it doesn't make sense to promote yourself. Often self-promotion circumvents the tempering God needs uh, to do in you in order for you to be the servant that he desires. Uh, it's almost always true that we think we're ready for things before we are. I've used Moses as an example. I talked about him maybe last week or the week before, but he's so good in this area. He thought he was ready at age 40 to be the deliverer of Israel. Now, he knew he was going to be the deliverer. God, he, that's why he was born. There was no doubt about that. He was saved miraculously and uh, grew up in Egypt and it was clear that he was the deliverer. And then at age 40, he promoted himself to the position when he saw a, an Egyptian mistreating a Hebrew and he decided to kill the Egyptian. And he said, hey, this is surely going to be the time that I uh, cement my deliverance of Israel. And everybody will recognize what a great deliverer I am. I've you know, been 40 years in Egypt. I'm, I'm ready to go. It didn't quite work out that way. He had to flee out into the desert. Moses spent another 40 years as a shepherd, uh, tending sheep in the desert. Uh, and then God said, now you're ready. And he had more of a reluctance the second time. God called him through the burning bush and he says, I don't know if I'm really ready for this. He had developed a humility. Uh, and, and so that is the kind of thing that happens. If you promote yourself, uh, you end up being a kind of person that, that does violence to other people. Uh, you, you're really not a gracious person. You don't have the proper humility. Whereas if you wait for God to promote you, He's been working in you and working on you. And when you get to a place where you need to be, uh, you're able to properly represent the heart and the nature of God. And so uh, we, we have a mercenary spirit when we are all about self-promotion. There are probably other things to notice about this mercenary. The point is that we must guard against his way of thinking. We are not soldiers of fortune. We are soldiers by faith, and we do that by remembering we will receive a crown. According to 2 Samuel 5.4, David was 30 years old when he began to reign. Now, he hadn't begun to reign just yet. He would soon. He's around 30 years old. If you do the math, it indicates that he had been fleeing from Saul's murderous intentions at least a decade, maybe 13 to 15 years. All that time, he knew he was the next king. The prophet Samuel had anointed him as a young man. David walked by faith in God's promise he would receive the crown. Now, as we've seen, he didn't walk perfectly. He had some notable uh, lapses in judgment and, and in faith. But generally speaking, looking back over that time and seeing his reaction now to the death of Saul, he was willing to wait for God's timing to uh, elevate him to that position. So David walked by faith in God's promise he would receive the crown. You and I have a few decades to live on this earth, seven or eight if we're lucky or unlucky, depending on your perspective uh, in terms of that. Every day we face the murderous intentions of the God of this world. We are to walk by faith in God's promise that we will one day receive the crown. Perhaps even more powerful than the example of David, however, is how David treats Saul in his death. He composes a praise song for him. 
He overlooks every evil intention of Saul's. If you knew only this song, you'd think Saul was an amazing, exemplary king over Israel. We're each going to stand before Jesus. Here's what will happen. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Now it seems that in my examination by the Lord, everything in my life that did not glorify him is going to be burned away. I will suffer loss of potential reward, but I'll be saved. Once my examination is over, all you will know about me is whatever work I did for the Lord that did bring him glory. It will result in my being awarded crowns. Now, the Bible mentions five potential crowns for the believer. Uh, The incorruptible crown, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The crown of rejoicing, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. The crown of life, James chapter 1. The crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and the crown of glory in 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, And so, uh, I will appear before the Lord, you will appear before the Lord. Uh, If you're honest, you know, there's things in your life that really don't bring glory to God, things you've done, things you're thinking. I mean, you know, we, we still struggle in the world with our flesh against the devil. And the Lord's going to review those things. He says, whatever didn't bring him glory, whatever was done in the right, uh, wrong motive and all of that, that's going to just burn away. And the illustration he's using is, is not that you're going to burn, is that he's talking about how you build with different materials. And he says he's going to put the fire to the materials test. And if what you built was with wood and hay and stubble, it's not going to be able to go through the fire. Uh, and so all these things that you wish you hadn't done and you'd thought about and you just wish you could leave behind, they're going to be burned off. And then you're just going to be left with that which is honoring and glorifying to the Lord. And when you come out of that event, that meeting, that examination, all other believers are going to see of you is what brought glory to the Lord. They're not going to think, you know, Gene, you know, I remember some things in Gene's life. No, that's all going to be gone. And that's what we're seeing in David's song about Saul. It's like you sit here and you think, how can he just so overlook all of that? Even if David wants to be magnanimous, you know, I mean, let's be honest about Saul. Let's be real about Saul. And from a historical perspective, that's fine. But from an eternal perspective, it's not. Because God said that he has begun a good work in us and he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And in that day, when we see the Lord, he will complete that work. And the only thing that will remain is His work in and through us and those things that we did in cooperation with it. And so it's, it's really a beautiful picture. The song to Saul is a beautiful promise to believers of what's going to be in our future. Now, after all the believers of the church age appear before Jesus individually to receive crowns or uh, our crown or crowns, we're going to appear before Him corporately. We read in Revelation 4, the 24 elders 
which we take to be the church in the book of the Revelation, fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. And so uh, the resurrection and the rapture of the church occurs. Uh, There is this individual judgment of believers. We come through it. Uh, with crowned and maybe some of the several crowns and then we appear corporately before the Lord uh, and we have something to offer to him. It's beautiful. Saul thus typifies the believer in his death in that all you see is the reward. And so let's take a quick look at David's composition. Falls into three movements that are introduced by the phrase how the mighty have fallen. Verse 17, then David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son, and he told him to teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. Indeed, it is written in the book of Jasher. Now, the book of Jasher is also mentioned in the book of Joshua. It seems to be a record of great military exploits. It's not a lost book of the Bible. The Bible mentions several other books that are not inspired. Uh, and so, you know, uh, the, the Bible is uh, a canon of inspired books. Uh, And then it mentions other books, the book of Enoch, the book of Jasher, that were not inspired by God, that were books men wrote, and this was one uh, that had military exploits in it. David wanted Saul remembered for his successes, even though the majority of Saul's life had been a failure. Is it revisionist history? No, it's an example of how we will be treated in eternity. Verse 19, the beauty of Israel is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. O mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew nor rain upon you. Nor fields of offerings. For the shield of the mighty is cast away there. The shield of Saul, not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back. And the sword of Saul did not return empty. Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. Very generous indeed was David in his praise of this man who had hounded him and hunted him for so many years. So will the Lord be When you stand before him, he's looking to reward you. Verse 25, how the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother, Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. Now admit it, you wish David had not said this. It creates enormous what we consider problems, especially in our contemporary culture because it's used by some to suggest that David and Jonathan had a physical sexual love for one another. Well, I just want to take a quick minute to debunk that argument. There's other uh, things that we could say, but here's three quick thoughts about that. (coughs) First of all, no matter how hard you try to find something in the Bible to the contrary, God's word calls homosexuality a sexual sin. It's not the unpardonable sin. It is uh, a sexual sin 
as is heterosexual sex outside of marriage and adultery. And so it's listed as a sexual sin. Second, just as a point of reference, Jonathan was at least 30 years older than David. Uh, I know that when we think of Jonathan and David, we have a tendency from a cultural point of view to think of two, you know, late teen, early 20s young men who palled around together, went to football games together, you know, and, you know, shot back some grape juice or whatever they did in those days. And, you know, they were just best buds and all of that kind of thing. Uh, But uh, Jonathan really was uh, at least 30 years older than David. Now, you can find this in all the timelines. He was more of a mentor than a contemporary. They were not two young men who palled around together. And third, this is something that a lot of times people don't consider. It's pretty clear that David was heterosexual. He'd been married to Saul's daughter, Michael. He currently had two wives. He would multiply wives to himself. And later, he would get into the biggest problem of his life. How? By having sex with another man's wife. And so uh, David was not a homosexual. It's, it's very clear. So uh, don't let that bother you. Don't erase that from your Bible, you know, or anything like that. It's in there. Uh, he, it's just, uh, he's, their relationship was praiseworthy. And uh, it's just sad that people read something else into that. Now, verse 27, how the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war Perished By weapons of war, David was referring to Saul and Jonathan themselves as weapons in the Lord's hands. Now, this is an amazing review of Saul's life. The things David said of him were true. It's just that he omitted all of the faults, all of the failures, all of the sin. Now, we'd say, in light of what we read earlier, we'd say that Saul was saved, yet so as through fire. So will you and I be. How much better, though, to minimize the fire and maximize the reward by being good soldiers, soldiers who walk by faith, deferring fortune to the end when the Lord will reward us. Here's what Jesus says at the very end of the Bible. This is his desire for you and I. He says, Revelation 22:12, Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. One of the things we can definitely say about that is that Jesus is looking for reasons to reward you. I don't know what you think about your review with the Lord. Uh, certainly there's, there should be a proper reverential fear that one day I'm going to stand before the Lord. And thinking about that and believing as we do that the rapture of the church could happen imminently, it's a real uh, encouragement to holy living, isn't it? Because you can think, I don't really want to be doing this right now if the Lord is going to come back right now. I want to you know, be doing things and involved in things that are pleasing to the Lord. But a lot of times people are really nervous about this review in, in the sense that, uh, you know, Uh, It's kind of like job reviews that you've had. Uh, You know, uh, they don't always go too well, especially when they don't want to give you the raise. You know, it's like they have to have a reason for not giving you the raise. You've earned it, you deserve it, but then all of a sudden, you know, you've had stellar reviews, then you go in and it's like, well, you know, you're really blowing it, and it's, it's, it's a whole mental thing. And then just our religious nature 
you know, makes us think, well, we're never going to be good enough for God and he's going to, you know, we're going to have to suffer in purgatory for a while. You know, and there's, there's all kinds of religions that believe that there's more suffering to come by the time you get to the end of this life because you could never be good enough. Of course, we as Christians, we know that it's not a matter of being good. It's a matter of being saved. And then once you're saved, the Lord brings you to heaven and he wants to get rid of all the things that you did that you're not proud of, not happy with, and he wants to reward you for what remains. He's coming and he wants to give everyone according to his work a reward. The response we ought to have is uh, this. It's from Philippians chapter 3. Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. And so Paul said, look, this is the Christian life to me. It is pressing forward. It is doing those things that further the kingdom of God. It is living a godly life. Uh, And just forget about what happened yesterday. Forget about those things because the Lord is going to burn them away one day and I'm going to be left with the crown. And so I really super enjoy this song about Saul. And, And, you know, when you first read it, you think that's just a big pack of lies. You know, it's just crazy. That's not Saul. Saul, David, you know, he chased you for 10, 12, 15 years. He tried to kill you. He lied about you. He, you know, abdicated his responsibilities to the nation. He was a terrible king. The night before he died, he was visiting a medium. He was having a seance trying to figure out using occult methods what was going to happen in the battle. And David said... Yeah, that's all true, but you know what? He was a saved man, and now he's in heaven, and this is all that we'll ever remember of him. Uh, and and uh, that's a beautiful thing to me, because uh, don't you fall short every day? Don't you fail every day? And, you know, I, I, I hope, maybe it's just me. Maybe I get to the end of the day, and I just think, oh, Lord, you know, what happened? The things I wanted to do, I didn't do. The things I didn't want to do, I did. Oh, I'm a wretched man. And then the Lord says, wow, the Holy Spirit, keep walking in the Spirit, keep pressing ahead. I'm coming and my reward is with me. And when you and I get together, we'll talk about that. And I'll get rid of all of that stuff. And when you come out of that interview, you'll, you'll have the promotion, you'll be perfected, you'll be wearing the crowns. And that's all that anybody will ever know about you or remember about you because that's how I see you today. You know, the Lord sees you perfected. It's such a beautiful thing. Is it revisionist? No. It's the fact that He's working in you and He that began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And so don't allow a mercenary spirit to creep into your thinking. It's the cross now and the crown later for you and I. Let's pray.